Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own. West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show and I'm your host Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira and it's another typical northwest day a little blustery a little rainy that's yeah, all right I got a fire in in the uh, fireplace and the wood the, the insert the house is nice and toasty the poodles are sleeping we're good so we've got a, a pretty jam-packed, uh, at least in my mind, Bo's Nose Show, because I spent all day Monday up at the Capitol. In fact, I was at, up at the Capitol last Wednesday. That's why I did the Thursday Bo's Nose Show. So I've been up in Salem quite a bit lately, and, and uh, it always kind of you know seems like a little bit of a la-la land. And I spent all day yesterday in a board meeting. Um, we even added an extra half hour to our meeting and our executive session went past five. So I feel like I'm completely out of touch with the real world right now. So that's why I need you all to call me here on the Bose Nose Show at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation here. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. You can tell me what's going on right in the real world here uh, in Lane County, Oregon, or anywhere else you're living and listening to this, because we are going out live to the world through the World Wide Web here uh, on the Bo's Nose Show. And, in fact, you can also watch us at face on our Facebook page, Facebook Live, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. And coming up soon, we're going to be on YouTube also. So uh, look forward to that. More ways to get the Bose Nose Show. And uh, just got to have a computer or, or a telephone because you just can call into the Bose Nose Show anytime you want. And uh, that lets us uh, know that, you know, it, it's, you know, you can call in and not press one and listen on your phone if you're away from a computer. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting. Oh, that. okay. How about the breaking news there, Robin? Got that handy? 
because I got a breaking news story. Just came in on the old Dick Tracy watch. Okay, according to the Register Guard, Eugene City Council to consider payroll tax. Yes, you did hear that correctly. The Eugene City Council is considering a income tax or I guess a payroll tax. Maybe that's to the businesses. And it's supposed to be for public safety expansion. So live, you heard it here first because you probably won't get your registered guard till tomorrow morning. Eugene's considering another tax on your payroll. Just what we need. Uh, speaking of taxation, I was in Salem all day yesterday, on Monday at the Association of Oregon Counties, which I used to refer to all the time as AOC. But unfortunately, our new freshman congressman from New York has made that not a term that people are now mistaking for something other than the Association of Oregon County. So from now on, I'm going to try and make sure that I don't use the acronym and that I say out the full name there, the Association of Oregon Counties, which is basically the association of all the county commissioners uh, across the state. And uh, the second Monday of the month is their legislative day uh, where they get together and review bills and decide which ones we're going to support, which ones we're going to oppose, which ones we're going to maybe support if they amend it, or, you know, whether we're going to just stay neutral or take no stance at all and, you know, just, you know, let that one go because it really doesn't matter. It's not a matter of county concern. And I sit on several committees and then the legislative committee as a whole and the board, uh, the board of uh, the Association of Oregon Counties also known as AOC. <laughs> and uh, one of the committees I sit on and have sat on for quite a long time is called Governance. And it, it really is a broad ranging, it's kind of the catch-all committee for stuff that doesn't fit into stuff like public safety or natural resources or transportation or housing and human services or uh, veterans, you know, all those, everything that's kind of about how you run things. So it catches a lot of odd stuff. Like um, we've, we've been dealing with all the marijuana uh, regulation and, and, and that sort of regulation and taxation. And uh, some of the things that fall into us are some odd stuff. Uh, like we got a bill to take a stance on, Senate Bill 150, which would require that any Schedule three drugs, I guess, um, and, and various other drugs, the, um, the prescriptions have to be issued in a bottle that has a combination lot. <laughs> and these things are like massive. They're about eight inches tall to fit these rings that are at just below the cap, you know, these five rings where you, you, you can dial a combination. So it's like a five-digit combination zero through nine on, uh, on the little ring so you know if if you don't remember the combination it's almost impossible to guess it's not like you know, those little three-digit you know bike locks or something like that where you can sort of guess 
Um, and all I can think of is what person thought this was a good idea? I mean, what were you thinking when you put this bill forward? First of all, any tweaker sees that in somebody's medicine cabinet that they're rifling through as they're breaking in or, you know, if they're one of these people that rifles through their friend's medicine cabinets looking for old drugs, sees one of those bottles up in the medicine cabinet, they're going to grab that one first. It's going to be like a neon sign. Steal this one. It's got something good, <laughs> you know. And then second, what's going to stop them from just crushing the plastic portion of the bottle with a, you know, a ball-peen hammer or just taking a pair of vice grips to it or something like that? It's just, I mean, really, that was going to solve the, 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 um, the drug problem some way. But what I found out, you know, as part of looking into this bill, which, by the way, the association took an opposed stance on, um, is that there's only three manufacturers of this type of locking drug bill, cat, you know, drug um, bottle, pill bottle in the country or in the world, really. Um, so this was really about uh, creating a monopoly for three companies uh, and apparently this bill's been introduced in other states, a similar bill. So somebody with one of those companies is going around and distributing money and asking people to introduce bills on their behalf. And just so you don't think I'm always picking on Democrats, the chief sponsor on this bill is a Republican, Senator Tim Canote, which I really am surprised because Tim is usually a pretty libertarian. And this is really not a very libertarian thing. So somebody must have asked him to introduce this. But still, you know, locking pill bottles, it isn't bad enough that they haven't completely frustrated seniors with childproof caps already. Do you imagine being the poor pharmacist that's getting the call from the 85-year-old? I forgot my combination on my bottle and I need my pills. <laughs> like the pharmacists aren't already overworked. I mean, my mom was a pharmacist, and I know those pharmacists that are behind the counter, they are on their feet the entire time they're behind that counter, constantly filling scripts. And if you work for one of the big drug companies like a Walgreens or Target behind those counters, it is a they are slave drivers with their pharmacists and farm techs. So to have them having to answer phone calls from people that have forgotten their five-digit combination on their pill bottle is just, you know, it, it's, that, it has to be one of the silliest bills I've seen introduced since they were trying to name a state dog in Oregon. There's been more serious bills introduced. I don't think Senate Bill 150 is going anywhere. My guess is that one's going to die. You know, it may not even get a hearing, may not even, you know, if it does get a hearing, I, I doubt it will make it much past the next couple of weeks in the legislature. A bill that is moving, that's already had a hearing, already gotten approved by the, the state Senate and on a 1711 vote, which was all Democrats voting for it, with the exception of Senator Betsy Johnson, who is one of my favorite Democrats. 
in the legislature um, is Senate Bill 608, which is the rent control bill, which I mentioned in my promos on Facebook that I was going to talk about. And this bill is sort of a rent control light. They're trying to kind of edge us into it a little bit because it's not an absolutely... um, (laughs) Oh, gosh. Sorry. Robin's texting me behind the scenes here. Uh, I I, I made this stupid thing of looking at the text. (laughs) And it was kind of coming in about the pill bottle thing. She says, I have a Dremel. which would probably open up one of those drill bottles pretty quick with the combination lock. But going back to rent control, you know, the whole concept of that the government needs to step in and do something about high rents is ignoring the fact that the government's causing those high rents right now and not understanding the root causes of why rents are so high in Oregon and across the country. And it's the fact that Government has done all sorts of things to control, you know, growth in cities and with zoning laws and to add to cost of, of building housing with, you know, increased permit fees, system development charges, construction excise taxes, you, you know, transfer taxes on pr- property where, you know, all sorts of things that increase the cost of building those units, which ultimately means they they recovered in the rent. Not to mention the property tax increases that are going on that have to be recovered in rent. So Senate Bill 608 is kind of a little bit of rent control light. They didn't want to go full blown into what they were proposing a couple of years ago, which was going to allow local jurisdictions to slap on basically rent freezes. Um, this one just basically says, yeah, you can raise the rent, but you can't raise it any more than 7% a year. And on top of that, we're not going to let you do no cause evictions after 12 months, which basically is going to make it really hard for landlords to manage property, which means some landlords are just going to get out of the business. People that might have um, a house that they're renting is a second property for income property might just sell the house to somebody that's going to live in it, not rent it. And that becomes a non-rental property. Um, so, you know, I'm not quite sure what the, the Democrats are thinking with rent control, but everywhere it's been tried, it's created worse housing problems than cured them. And I defy anybody provide me an example of where rent control has actually solved the problem of increasing rents. And in fact, the bill they've written is virtually going to guarantee that rent's going to go up at 7% a year, which is well beyond the pace of income growth in this state. Because what, you know, knowing that they've written this law for 7%, what landlord isn't going to take advantage of raising 7% every year because he doesn't know what is going to happen with his cost in the following year. He may get a 14% increase the following year in his taxes because they, you know, the school district approved a bond measure. Uh, the city of Eugene decides he's going to, they're going to add a payroll tax. Who knows what's going to happen that increases his, his uh, cost of the, of, you know, 
underneath the rent to provide that rental for a tenant. So he's going to preemptively go to the max the year before and keep doing the max because he doesn't know what's going to be happening. And in fact, a lot of his costs are increasing closer to that 7%. And that's why, you know, it just, people are going to just keep doing the 7% because you know his property taxes are going to go up by 3% because that's built into our tax laws. Um, so I really don't understand what they're doing because it's been proven and shown time and time again any form of rent control suppresses new construction of rental units. I mean, it, you know, I, I've got quotes and studies from multiple economists, and I don't mean a bunch of free market, um, you know, out of the, uh, you know, that, that, you know, whole, you know, Hayek or any of the free market economists. I'm talking even socialist liberal economists coming out of the Harvard School or, you know, uh, and uh, you know, Keynesians and all that. None of them think rent control is the right way to go. And in fact, there was one socialist economist that basically said it's the quickest way to destroy a city other than bombing it. You know, I mean, so with stuff like that in the background, and Anyone that Googles economic impacts of rent control can find, you know, paper after paper, you know, about how the economics just doesn't work. Because what you do is you restrict the supply. If you restrict the price of something, the supply will, will, will be restricted also. Who wants to build new rental units and put all that capital cost into it, knowing that there's going to be ongoing cost of managing it and, and maintaining those those units and paying the taxes on them if they don't know whether they're going to be able to keep the rents up with those costs and actually turn a profit. No one in their right mind makes that sort of capital investment. And just the, the fact that they're going to put in this, quote, rent control light is going to really drive down new construction of housing units. And that's really where the problem is. The reason rents are going up is there's not enough rental units to supply the demand. And people are competing for it. There's waiting lists to get into housing units. Part of the problem. And Oregon's land use system is designed to restrict housing supply. Very difficult to expand a city to add residential lands for housing. And if they do do it, they do it in such ways that, they, that it's extremely costly. Look at what the city of Eugene did. They finally went through Envision Eugene, and they didn't expand their urban growth boundary for housing at all. And they're counting in their inventory land that's got 30% slopes. Who in the world is building rental units on 30% slopes? You know, it's just, it, it boggles my mind that the same people that, put in place all these restrictions and laws and environmental laws that make it more and more expensive to build housing, then turn around and complain when housing costs go up and people are going unhoused because they can't afford housing. And then they turn around and their solution is to try and put in a price control. Price controls never work. 
price controls are why we have the health insurance problems we have today. It was the price controls placed on wages during World War II that led employers to offer health insurance as a, as a get around the system of, of wage controls, which was a price controls put in place by the federal government at, during the, the war. That's the reason why the employers offer health insurance in the first place and led to some of the issues around price illusion in our healthcare system. Whole different subject. We'll get back to rent control here. There's no way that this is a good solution. And unfortunately, the Speaker of the House of, of Representatives in the state of Oregon is a sponsor on this rent control bill, and the governor signaled that she supports it. So look out, folks. Here comes rent control in Oregon. And I guarantee you, by a year or two from now, multifamily building permits in Oregon are going to fall off to almost none. And you'll stop seeing new units being built in Oregon. And of course, that's going to keep have everybody going max on the rent increases. And the legislature is probably going to go, oh, you know what our problem was is we didn't make it tough enough. Let's freeze rents or whatever else. You know, they, they, they won't get it. Because like the other AOC, they don't seem to understand economics, even though some of them claim to have studied it. You know, it's just, it boggles my mind how anyone can think rent control is an answer to our housing problem. What they need to do is find ways to get more housing units built, which means making it cheaper, easier, faster. You know, streamline permitting processes, make it cheaper, add inventory to the lands, you know, whatever you have to do. And rent control is not the way to do it. So obviously being in Salem for a full day gets me fired up about that marble nut house. Um, <laughs> but I want to hear what you think about rent control and combination lock pill bottles or Eugene's proposal to add a payroll tax to support, you know, police and all that. Give us a call here at the Bozno Show, 646-721-9887. Just press one so we know we're, you're not just calling in to listen to the show, that you actually want to talk. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one to let us know you want to get in on the conversation. So, one of the things uh, about yesterday's board meeting that kind of kept me from understanding what was going on in the real world, because when you're in Harris Hall, you're kind of in this um, world of staff reporting to you and the public talking to you, and the public's usually there, not really representative of the, of the whole um, population out there. In fact, we had about 20-some people address us in our morning uh, public comment, and we tried something new and had a public comment at one o'clock, um, which is a good thing. I, I, I think we should do whatever we can, just like I have this Bose Nose show so folks can get a hold of me easily and know that there's a time every week they can call me or they can just listen to hear what's going on. Um, but we had 20 people at the morning public comment. We only had three at the afternoon public comment. 
Of course, the Register Guard reported that there were five at the afternoon public comment. Not sure how they counted that, um, but that kind of is just, you know, one of the interesting and frustrating things about being a public official is quite often I am there at the events that I read about later in the newspaper, and so often I go, that's not what happened. That's not really right. (laughs) And I know sometimes it's, you know, they might be, maybe they got given the wrong number. Maybe they got fooled by, by the fact that, you know, we had a a public hearing later on. Um, But there were only three people in the afternoon, but the main thing we heard public comment on yesterday, and it was very one-sided was folks that either wanted to talk to us about climate change and the fact that we need to take some kind of action around climate change or about the sheriff's office and they're breaking the state law because they're cooperating with ICE too much in immigration and customs enforcement. Um, and that was basically everyone talked to us on that and they were all on one side, which, you know, that's sort of the, um, why I say it, it, you're kind of in this strange place when you're either up in Salem or we're in Harris Hall because we're really not hearing from the community at large. You know, I don't think everyone in this community um, wants us to somehow or another um, tell the sheriff he absolutely can have no communication with ICE, even though that's not what the law says. In fact, if folks want to see what the actual Oregon statutes say, what the federal um, statutes say around what what's required uh, for the sheriff to do, I can provide you a copy. I believe the sheriff is is obeying state law and federal law in what he does, which basically says he's not going out and arresting people purely based on their immigration status. He's not, he's not going out and trying to investigate people and look up their immigration status. But once he arrests somebody or somebody comes into our jail from another police agency charged with a crime other than immigration, in other words, they're coming into our jail for some reason, and it has nothing to do with whether they're an immigrant or not. At that point, the state law says once somebody is in custody for some other crime other than immigration, the sheriff is allowed to communicate with immigration and custom enforcement. And the federal law <clears throat> on the other side of the equation says states must cannot prohibit that communication. And in fact, they the executive orders from the Trump administration basically say you're required to communicate once you have somebody in criminal custody. Doesn't The executive order does not require us to go out and look for people that are breaking immigration law or use local resources to do so. So basically what the sheriff has been doing has been once somebody comes into the jail, he forwards that you know, name and, and, and all that onto the federal government. And sometimes the federal government gets comes back and says, by the way, we're pretty sure that person's in this country illegally. <clears throat> and sometimes they want to place a hold on them, but we don't really honor holds that aren't a federal bench warrant because there's been court cases that say we can't hold somebody beyond their uh, normal release date 
just based on an ICE request to hold because that request to hold is not um, a criminal warrant. And 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 uh, there's actually been a court case that set precedent on that. So we can't violate a court order. Uh, so we don't even hold uh, uh, honor ICE quote civil holds from the ICE uh, folks because we can't do that. It's not legal. Um, but one of the things that does happen is ICE knows when we're releasing people because that's public record. There's something in Oregon called buying. And it's something that was actually put in place by our Attorney General, Ellen Rosenblum, which I think she's got a D behind her name, not an R. Um, but it was put in place for a really good reason. And it's actually in place across most of the country. It's a victim's uh, notification and information network. Um, I, and it basically says, if there's somebody in jail, you want information on when they're getting released. And this is, you know, really important to particularly uh, victims of domestic violence. You can sign up anonymously to get information about that person's release time and date. Now that doesn't stop ICE, you know, who we've, we've notified by, you know, requirement of federal law of who's in our jail from using that same system to understand when somebody's going to be released from our jail. And ICE, you know, shows up and comes into the jail in the same place that all other law enforcement agencies come in and out of our jail. And it also happens to be at the point where we release prisoners, at, you know, out of our, our Sally Port area. And it's always been where we've released our prisoners because that's where they come out of booking. And that's where law enforcement agencies bring folks into booking. Um, so for some reason, folks out in the community think that the sheriff is somehow or another breaking state law by just even letting ICE know who's in jail, which is not true because the state law specifically says once somebody's in custody for a criminal charge other than immigration, they're allowed, you know, the sheriff's allowed to communicate with ICE and federal law basically says he's supposed to communicate with ICE. So the sheriff's following the law there. And then the fact that ICE happens to be in the area where law, all law enforcement goes in and out of the jail when folks are released is a matter of them just paying attention to um, our public information on inmate release. Anyone listening to this show can tag a offender that's currently being held in Lane County's jail and find out, get a notification by email of when they're going to be released or text. So, you know, I, I'm not quite sure how that means that our sheriff is breaking the law. And, uh, It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, there's some claims that there's a Wasco County decision that there that doesn't have any authority in Lane County where they they're accusing the, the uh, local uh, NORCOR, which is the local prison for several counties up there of, of violating state law. Um, I'm not sure what they were doing exactly and whether it matches what Sheriff Trapp is doing, 
but um, it's kind of interesting how some of this stuff gets spun up. And most of it's based on allegations. Some of the stuff, you know, like uh, they're talking about how the sheriff is letting ice in the back door and how one person got arrested while um, reporting to understand how to use a um, ignition interlock uh, on a DUII charge. It, all that's just reported, not even in fact, you know, it hasn't been factually determined and all that. And, and, but, and people are reacting off of that. I think it has more to do with people just don't like, you know, ice in general. You know, most of the signs that folks, you know, were carrying and most of the statements they made, they want ICE abolished, period. And the fact that our sheriff is following state and federal law and has to communicate with ICE once somebody's in custody, they want him to break federal law and not communicate at all, is what it comes down to. They want him, him to somehow or another exclude a lawful law enforcement agency from access to the jail. You know, while allowing everyone else access to the jail, <clears throat> like the FBI uh, and other federal law enforcement agencies, you know, uh, ATF, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of have, have, have to wonder, you know, how representative some of that testimony was of the entire community, you know, and why you kind of feel like you're in this little bubble in Harris Hall where you're really only hearing one side of the story. Uh, and what was interesting in, in some of the other testimony around climate change, there's a lot of, um, some of it was all about how we really ought to be uh, incentivizing solar and, and green energy stuff and how we should jump on the bandwagon about the Green New Deal um, and everything. And I always, you know, Folks that, you know, start talking about how we need solar, particularly, you know, what they want is they want it subsidized because it doesn't pencil in Oregon. You know, it really does not. Um, you know, as far as, you know, our, our cost of energy is so low because we have such abundant hydro hydropower, which, by the way, is solar. If you really want to think about how that rainfall ends up in the mountains and has the gravity to push a turbine, uh, that's all driven by the solar, by by the sun. <laughs> so hydro is solar power in, in a lot of ways, but actual you know um, photovoltaic cells on top of a house don't pencil well in Oregon because we have so many cloudy days and and, and uh, we're so far uh, north. In addition to that, the peak generation periods for solar match up with some of the lower demand times in in the electric grid. So you're building this capacity at a time when we don't need it. And there's, if you plot the demands on electricity against um, the uh, capacity to generate with some of these, uh, adding in some of these alternative energy things, it generates this graph known as the duck graph because of the way, the way it looks. But it has a, you know, think about the way a duck has a head and, and, and feet and it has, you know, a big round belly and a flat back. Um, that's kind of what, and that round belly is really that difference between demand and generation capability in, in the middle of the day. 
<clears throat> and what happens is just about the time solar stops generating in the evening when it starts getting dark, that's when demand peaks. The absolute highest demand in the day is about six or seven in the evening. When everybody comes home, flips on the lights and starts cooking dinner and running, you know, turns on the TV and every other appliance in their house. And what happens is when you, when you um, put a bunch of sol solar on the grid, you have this excess supply in the middle of the day. So you have to turn off just about everything else that's feeding into the grid um, to, to utilize any of the solar. And then suddenly the solar goes away and you suddenly have to bring online a bunch of other power sources. Well, power sources that are capable of being spun up and quickly is what they refer to as spinnable power. And the only power sources that easily spin up and, and can, you know, beyond, you know, baseload stuff is things like natural grass turbines. And in fact, though, they didn't even spin up that fast. You still got to have the boilers ready and pressurized to flip over the steam into the turbines. So you actually run some of that natural gas and burn natural gas in that period when the solar is generating to be ready to ramp up that natural gas generator for the evening peak. So solar power actually can create the need for more spinnable petroleum-based power. <laughs> Something... You know, the average person doesn't know. Some of my background as an engineer is where I get that from. But the real cost of solar uh, is in stuff like having to have that spinnable power to, to pick up the peaks. And quite often it doesn't include uh, the real cost of solar and the energy it takes to build the panels and the energy it takes to dispose of panels. Um, Cradle to grave from mining the uh, uh, rare earths that go into photovoltaic panels to um, what you do with disposing of those rare earths, which are heavy metals, um, when you need to get rid of a panel that's aged out. And they only last about 25 years. And in Oregon, they might not last that long because of our weather. So, um, interesting to listen to some public comments sometimes. and, and uh, to kind of appreciate just, you know, how that's being steered by what people are being fed in the media and fed by certain um, political entities with agendas and all that, you know, that they're coming in with, you know, being concerned about ICE and our sheriff's department and not understanding what the actual Oregon law says in ORS 181A820 and not understanding what, um, you know, the, the federal code says or that release information, public information in the state of Oregon. Um, and for good reason. <laughs> you know, if you were that neighbor that got your, 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 your neighbor arrested because he came over to your house with a pistol, uh, you know, mad at you because he thought your stereo was too loud, you might want to know when that guy got released from jail. 
Um, you know, that, that's, that's and, and therefore, it makes it easy for ICE to know when, it, when people are getting released from jail. So I want to change subject here in a minute to, the, to today's, what were they thinking? Of course, I kind of think combo locks on pill bottles was probably a, a runner-up this, this week for what were they thinking, but I got, got one this week. But before I do, I just want to give people the phone number again, 646-721-9887. Just press one lets us know you want to get in on the conversation because I want to hear what you think. You know, what do you think about rent control? What do you think about um, ICE and uh, the sheriff's office and our sanctuary law? What do you think about um, solar energy and, and, and subsidizing it with incentive, government incentives? Um, Give me a call again, 646-721-9887. Just press one. Let's us know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bo's Nose Show. And we're moving on to what were they thinking this week? And this is a, a regular feature of the Bo's Nose Show where Robin and I kind of give out the what were they thinking award of the week. And, and for once, Franklin Boulevard's not involved. What? 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 Yes, they're not involved. But it is a road thing that's involved, and I'm giving the What Were They Thinking Award to the Salem City Council. And, of course, folks are probably scratching their head and going, why is Jay concerned about Salem? You know, he's the Lane County Commissioner. I'm giving the What Were They Thinking Award because they are repeating the exact same mistakes the city of Eugene City Council made when they killed a bridge across the Willamette River. And keep kept on, you know, killing vehicle capacity across the Willamette River. The Salem City Council this week voted to drop a project out of their transportation system plan that would have added a third bridge across the Willamette River over there to what's known as North Salem on the other side of the river. And, of course, if anyone's been around Salem at rush hour, those two bridges that do cross are kind of like trying to get across the, the Willamette River and Eugene at rush hour. It's a mess. And if they ever have to do repairs on one of those bridges, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. Well, there is a project in their transplant to add another bridge in the future, and the Salem City Council pulled it out of their transplant because, you know, that is too vehicle-centric, going to lead to generating carbon and who knows what else. I don't know what their reasons were, but what were they thinking? Because once you pull one of those things out, it's you can't put them back in easily. People start developing the land at either end of the bridge, you know, and, and by the time you're trying to put it back in, then you're condemning people's property. What were they thinking up there? Couldn't they look to the south and realize when the city of Eugene pulled the bridge out from Valley, uh, at Valley River and left just the, the Beltline Bridge, the I-105 Washington-Jefferson Bridge, and the uh, Coburg uh, Ferry Street Bridge and the, the Franklin Boulevard Bridges as the only four ways to get across the river in Eugene, where there's a lot more traffic between the two because there's Eugene-Springfield, kind of similar with Salem-Kaiser, um, but a whole lot more people here. Um, that now that we have the Washington Jefferson Bridge under construction, what a mess that's been. 
and how the traffic backs up every morning on Beltline, every afternoon on Beltline. They couldn't just look a little bit to the south and go, you know what, maybe we should have learned that when the city of Eugene decided not to build that bridge and took it out of their trans plan, and then decided when they did get some federal money to improve the Ferry Street Bridge seismically, that they chose not to build any additional vehicle capacity there and made a conscious decision not to do it, that maybe, just maybe, Eugene made a big mistake. And they could have avoided that mistake and left that bridge in their transportation system plan. But no, they had to cave to the anti-automobile you know, folks out there, and they pulled it from their plan. What were they thinking up there in Salem? All I can think is if this gets to be the norm, we're going to start seeing, you know, no bridges built across any rivers, you know, for vehicles anywhere in Oregon as our population's growing, stopping population growth. We have a 1% a year average population growth in Oregon. And that doesn't sound like a lot. But, you know, that's still a lot of new people every year, which means a lot of new cars driving across bridges. I'm sorry, but the buses aren't going to take everybody, and not everybody's going to ride a bicycle in Oregon's winters. And a lot of times you got to go further than you can walk. What were they thinking pulling a bridge out of a transportation plan? I guess we're just, you know, we're, you know I don't know. Probably the same thinking that got us the crazy eights on Franklin Boulevard. Yeah. See, now See, you're, 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 you're breaking, breaking the plug. You told you told what was that, Robin? You broke up a little bit. I, I think now you're, now you're, now you're, now you're, um, um, breaking breaking your end. I'm having trouble hearing you on my end, Robin. You're, you're <laughs> mipping in and out. Um but yeah, I am. I am kind of breaking their their, their vision of utopia there. Exactly. You know, their their dream of uh, bicycles and buses and horse-drawn carriages. Yeah, yeah, and and they keep doing it. I mean, last week, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about them wanting to make Franklin Boulevard less automobile-centric. You know, they're doing it again here in Eugene. They're having uh, evening meetings this week for people to come and talk about what their visions for river road are. And when they talked about some of the, the goals was to try and make river road more bicycle pedestrian friendly and all that stuff. It's the main North South vehicle route for Santa Clara river road. What part of major collector don't people understand? Wait, wait, wait. Material. Here's the problem with river road. Yeah. It's straight. Oh yeah, <laughs> they need to put, they need to have lanes end and weave them in and out. Yes, and maybe, maybe put a dedicated bus line on there. You know, something called MX or something. I don't know. I, I, I think that's actually planned to go out there, isn't it? I believe it is. Yeah, mm, that's going to make things fun at the Chambers connector. Um. <laughs> Oh, yeah, let's, let's throw a few more uh, roundabouts out there. And, of course, we've got to get our, our favorite architect. Um, actually, we should uh, we should send him to AA. Yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of 
I kind of wonder what they're going to do with River Road up there by Silver Lane, right in Santa Clara. Um, is as on the south side of Beltline, the intersection of Silver Lane and River Avenue. Silver Lane's on the side that the high school's on, North Eugene High School. River Avenue's on the side that goes back to the sewage treatment plant. Um, that intersection has the highest number of accidents in Lane County and also backs up every day, whether it's morning rush hour or evening rush hour, there is a backup there. And if you go there around noontime when the kids are going trying to, 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 to run to the nearest fast food joint uh, for lunch, uh, forget about it. <laughs> it's a mess. So, if they try and put a dedicated bus line through there, some I, I just, I, you know, they already got the bus depot there that they're moving up to, uh, up to uh, where um, Hunsaker comes into River Road. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all falls together. Um, but I kind of wonder what the vision is there uh, along River Road. Kind of gets me to another topic, which is. Um, you know, where I I also, as being a Lane County Commissioner, sit on the Homes for Good um, Board of Directors, uh, and it's basically the five commissioners plus two people that live in the uh, um, housing provided by Homes for Good, so two resident commissioners, so to speak, um, that get appointed by the board. And... Uh, there was a property that Owns for Good uh, bought at one point um, for, you know, inventory for a future housing project. And it was a property that the city of Eugene zoned R2, uh, which is medium density residential, a long time ago. As uh, the city has changed some of their zoning code, they've actually gone to higher densities for, for R2 than they used to allow. Um, but uh, that piece of property turns out it has floodplain impacting it. Once upon a time ago, that wasn't a big deal, but as the rules have changed and HUD financing requirements, you can no longer easily do HUD financed housing on a property that has any sort of floodplain. So Homes for Good in their strategy, uh, real estate strategies that the board approved several years ago uh, which also includes divesting themselves of some scattered properties, um, some single-family homes that were scattered around, which are difficult for them to maintain in their inventory. Um, selling some properties and reinvesting those those proceeds in other properties more suited for development. So Homes for Good put this piece of property, which fronts River Road there, on that zone medium density residential right up against that, 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 you know, five lane wide, um, major thoroughfare, um, just put it on the open market, you know, once the board had declared it was surplus and, um, and, you know, they put it, you know, MLS listings, uh, a real estate sign on the property. And of course somebody purchased it and we can't really say, um, who can purchase Breed's property like that? You know, you know, if we try and stop somebody from purchasing the property, we'll probably end up sued unless we have some really good reason why. 
And it turns out the person, the, the, the group that bought that is the same group that developed the other apartments a little further north recently on River Road that a lot of people don't like um, you know, because they don't have enough parking. The reason they don't have enough parking partly is because the city of Eugene's codes for apartments now allows you to build like a three quarters of a space per apartment, which is ridiculously low number of spaces. So a lot of the people that live in those apartments are parking in the neighborhoods around it and it's caused all sorts of chaos. Um, but that same apartment developer bought this piece from Homes for Good. Well, lo and behold, the neighborhood decides they really don't like the fact that that particular um, person owns that property now and are trying to get Homes for Good to stop the sale. Mind you, we've already signed a contract. We haven't actually closed the sale, but there's a contract to sale for that property, which means if you pull out there's there's and break a contract, there's usually ramifications financially. Um, and then they want us to do something else with it, and I'm not quite sure what, because we can't develop it as a housing project because we can't finance it through HUD. Um, but they, they just don't like the fact that 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 property owner is going to develop something called the Lombard Apartments, and they think there's too many units that are going to be placed on there, and it's going to be too impactful to their neighborhood. Now, mind you, these are some of the same people that probably support the rent control bill. And in fact, good old former Lane County Commissioner Rob Handy came in to you know, give public comment to the Homes for Good board on this. Um, this is the, you know, the one that's famously killed the Valley River Bridge um, across the Lambert River. Uh, to say that you know, we really shouldn't sell that property and there shouldn't be you know, rental units developed on it. Uh, but I'm sure he's fully supportive of the rent control bill. Some of the, the, the disconnected thinking just amazes me. But, you know, one of the things, you know, I understand change is upsetting and getting a set of apartments built right next to your single family neighborhoods upsetting, let alone the bill that's in up at the, um, legislature that would basically require cities to allow fourplexes in single-family zones. Um, <laughs> don't get me started on that bill and, and the way that, that kind of pops the local control bubble a little bit um, and what might happen in your neighborhood then when you really don't expect it. This is a case where that property has been zoned for apartments for a long, long, long time and the reason it can have so many apartments is because of the way the city of Eugene has their development standards. And it was the city of Eugene's process that designated it for apartments. So I would hope that those folks that are upset about this set of apartments will go to the city of Eugene and ask them to modify their development standards, maybe so that they can't build so many apartments and also so they have to build more parking spaces. So it won't be so impactful. But they really didn't want to hear that, that they should be talking to the city of Eugene. They just wanted us to break a contract, expose the low-income housing authority to financial claims from a potential purchaser which means we're paying those claims. It's money that should have gone to providing low-income housing. 
you know, just, oh gosh. Yep. And we need rent control. So <laughs> interesting stuff, but you know, that's kind of the bubble you get in when you're, when you're elected official and you can understand sometimes where you start getting disappointed in some of the decision-making of elected officials because they're not, they get put in and, and after several years of being in that artificial environment, they start thinking that's the real world sometimes. That's why I need to talk to the folks out there on the Bose Nose Show. In just a couple minutes left here. There's still time for a phone call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets me know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. And, uh, Unfortunately, I think her new version of Skype is making her mip out today, or she probably would have jumped in and had 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 a good old time talking about, um, you know, bridges and crazy eights and everything else, and River Road and making it more bicycle friendly and bus friendly. Well, right? actually, you missed out on an um, an opportunity for business. Is I did. It, yeah, because. Like, for example, the Washington Jefferson Street Bridge with that thing backing up, you could put a coffee shop right there on the uh, that little island in the middle of the road. Yeah, you know, I, you know, a friend of mine just got back from England, and he went to a pub that was underneath the bridge where they used basically the bridge abutments and all that as part of the building and kind of just glassed it in. Yeah. <laughs> it was the wildest thing. You, you know, I had a photo from it. You could actually see you know, the concrete slope. I guess the one thing was there was no one camping and sleeping under the bridge. No, that's true. Yeah. So, you know, they could do a coffee shop there, you know, where people are waiting, you know, yeah, and, and you know, actually they could do it like a Dutch bros needs to set up a kiosk there, there you, coming on. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you pay or you place your order about a block away. And by time, you know, 20 minutes later, by the time you go down another block, uh, it'll be ready for you. Yeah, either that or somebody needs to set up a little ferry, you know, somewhere across the river. And when they get people across the river, you know, either, you know, get a couple canoes or something like that, just ferry people back and forth across the river. Probably be faster than driving. Yeah, but somebody would be offended by the word. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, um. Not even going to go. Aquatic transportation services. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all the, all the things that you kind of mentioned today on the show is really a mute point because the other AOC has it all figured out. Yes, she does. We're going to have a Green New Deal, and we're all going to just be well off here. In fact, you won't even have to work. That's right. But you will have to tune in to the Bose No Show next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Yep, we'll be here. We'll be square. I'll probably be coming to you live from beautiful downtown Eugene because I've got a 5 o'clock meeting in Eugene right after the Bose No Show next week. So um, we'll talk to you next week. Who knows what we'll talk about? It's always whatever you want to talk about if you call in. So thank you for listening to this edition of the Bose No Show. Hope to hear from you next week. Coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week.
I probably offended somebody with that one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't yeah, not. Well, I jumped into immigration, rent control, <laughs> transportation. All over. I even took a shot at those folks down on Lower River Road about the Lombard Apartments. <laughs> God. Yeah, and I'm sure. Yeah, we're going to have to try to um, hang out and see if it works better. I have been having trouble with... The new problem with computer is that it's been, uh, if you drag something on the screen, you know, it's been leaving multiple images. <coughs> yeah. Why I did that. So when he went ahead and said, go ahead and bring up that thing, I was trying to dump through images to get to the screen. <laughs> to get... uh, <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, by, uh, what do you think of uh, Eugene deciding to do a payroll tax? Um, I'm still thinking about retiring in Arizona. Yeah. God, you know why they're doing that, don't you? Why is that? They can do that with the vote of the council, not the people. Uh, I tell you, the uh, they're going to chase people out. You know, they just like with that school budget a uh, long time ago, you know, where they, they, they cure off for everything and they find out that the number of businesses and people, um, so many people left that there wasn't enough people to fund it, their goal. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, one of the things I want to get into, and maybe I'll do this next week, is I want to get into to a concept called circular taxation. I named it that. <laughs> okay. That's where you tax something to subsidize that that thing for for people and basically i got this concept from the fact that they want to tax um insurance premiums right to subsidize insurance for for the folks on the organ health plan right so and it, and there's discussions around town about doing this construction excise tax which is taxing housing to, to subsidize housing so what you're doing is you're driving the cost up of whatever it is you're taxing and that's a given. Whatever you tax is going to go up in its cost to the consumer. Therefore, making it less affordable to more people, which means they're going to apply for the subsidized version of, of whatever you're subsidizing with that, that tax. Therefore, there'll be less people to tax, so you have to raise the tax rate to get the same amount of money, and you're going to have to raise it also to get more money to get the people that were pushed off by the tax into the into being subsidized, so that you raise the tax and more people can't afford it, and they they want the subsidy, and you keep going on and on with this, and eventually it it collapses, the system you, you run out of people to tax, or those people are so overtaxed they leave the system. Yeah, and that yeah that 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 whole I you know that's kind of it's one of the reasons why. Socialism and, and communism fail. Well, and just that's one of the reasons why, if you lower taxes, put money back in, the government winds up actually making more money. Yeah, but it's just you know this whole concept where they keep wanting to tax something they want to subsidize. Yeah, you know, 
and I don't believe that they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart to actually help people. No. No, yeah, the, the construction excise tax stuff, yeah, that's really all about they hate, you know, big houses and development in general. And they feel like, you know, that's usually based on a value of, of whatever is being constructed. So they're going after the McMansions and all that stuff. And, you know, ha, ah, look how we're gouging them so we can transfer that money over to, you know, you know, paying for, you know, low-income housing projects. And they just don't get how it, it affects the entire system. Well, like I had a conversation with one of our uh, teachers at Pearl Buck, who is, you know, when we're talking about taking the, the cap off of the Measure 5, and she goes, well, yeah, we need more money for schools. I, yeah, but I says, what about us that are being taxed out of our homes? Well, we need more money for schools. Of course, then again, she makes uh, $70,000 a year, too. I don't know. Oh, I was going to uh, share. We had an interesting thing. Another thing at work. Um, our signage out front. Yeah. Um, we had, it was about a year ago, we had uh, two signs put in at each corner. And we went through the, the permit process. The city inspected, signed off on it, and everything was done, you know, um, cross the T's, dotted the I's, and everything's legal. Yeah. Until recently. Where hey, somebody- Elizabeth just texted me. She's running late. I need to call and see if I can delay it something. Okay. Well, this is just 30 seconds. All right. Okay. Anyways, long story short, somebody complained now we have to move the sign because all of a sudden, even though the city approved it, it's not legal anymore. Oh, God. So you invest all, uh, Jesus. Yeah. So we have to go ahead and the contractor is also given, is going to give us a break because of this. Cause you know, they should have known, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So same time, same place, et cetera. Yep. Yep. And I'll probably have to hurry off the air next week because i got to go right into another meeting. All right. So just be prepared. I'll be abrupt. <laughs> okay. Well, if you need to leave early, let me know. That's not a big deal. Yeah. No, I, I shouldn't need to leave early because the meeting starts at 5, and it's with a bunch of people that are, are are talkers. So I'm sure they won't start right at 5, and it's right down the hall. There you go. My office. So it'll be literally hang up from you, walk down the hall. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm glad I don't have your job. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Then. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.